Welcome to the Sum of It All Universal Design for Learning podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And this season, we're exploring the third edition of UDL Now, a teacher's guide to applying universal design for learning by Katie Novak. Transcripts for our podcast are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. And today we are wrapping up this book with chapter eight, but what about standardized assessments? Wow, what a title, Audrey. <laughs> Let's dive into it. Um, well, Katie starts things off by reframing this thing we call the achievement gap as the opportunity gap. And you and I have had conversations around that reframing, of course. And you know, she mentions a, t- a study titled The Opportunity Myth. Uh, and in this study, they found that our most vulnerable students spent the majority of their school day missing out on great appropriate assignments, strong instruction, deep engagement, and teachers with high expectations. Audrey, we actually could spend a whole episode <laughs> on what is meant by each of those four things. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the thing I'm going to pull out of that whole piece is I'm wondering, is, is just the opportunity enough for our students to be success, successful in mathematics? Good question. I, you know, I believe opportunity is a big part of it. Um, I think it goes back to two things, maybe whether or not we believe, like really believe that the student is not broken and mm-hmm. also acknowledging that our current system was never designed for everyone to succeed. Um, and I, I, you know, I think these are two things that we can nod our heads in agreement at and that we all say, oh yeah, yeah, that's, yes, I believe my students are not broken. And I believe that this student, this system was not designed for everyone. But when we really start to unpack them and consider universal design, like they take, they require us to take a really hard look at what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, Audrey, that access is definitely the thing we have to start with, but then we, we have to think about the practical pieces of how UDL is going to impact that system. And Katie states on page 155, in all seriousness, we cannot put too much weight on these tests, which often prevent learners from sharing what they know, especially when the results of those same tests are then used to exclude some students from robust learning opportunities that are rightfully theirs. What are you thinking about that, Audrey? Yeah, that's a... That quote stopped me. You know, I Mark, this time of year, we are pulled into more meetings than I would like to admit to talk about test scores. Right. Um, and I'm always a, just a little disheartened that we, like our collective we, um, mm-hmm. we in the state of mm-hmm. California, we in the local area that we live in, like are surprised by the results. Because that tells me that we're fooling ourselves to some degree and not acknowledging that our system is broken and that it's designed for a mythically average student. Like, why would we expect any different from the assessment? Like, it boggles my mind every year. And, you know, I think one of the problems that's the hardest for us is there's not an easy fix. Like, we can't just say, okay, everyone raise the rigor for all students and then the achievement gap is going to disappear, right? Yeah, I mean, great, great point. I mean, I can think of right now instances, Audrey, that I know of that actually happen in the real world in which students are given this opportunity, right? Let me give you this access to this course, to this particular kind of mathematics that I'm going to open the door and let you in, right? Um, But they're given that opportunity without any support to be successful. And you know what? 
it's it's like the result is like this self-fulfilling prophecy. And so I I'm I think we need to call this out and it's a bit of a game. Like I want to give you a chance to be in the high math group in elementary school. I, I put high math group, by the way, in quotes um, in elementary school or in that quote unquote advanced track in middle school or high school. But like it could be possible that deep down the person making those decisions doesn't really think that 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 particular student has what it takes to make it in that class. So when they happen to fail and not be successful, um, well, that is sort of kind of, well, not surprising um, because there's still that fixed mindset on who is able to do math and whether they will be able to be successful. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think that's different from what the report's saying. I think that's actually what the report is trying to call out by saying, like in the example you just gave, it sounds like high expectations were missing and probably uh, yeah. also missing with strong instruction. Because if we're mm -hmm. honest, strong instruction would be open and accessible for all of those students, right? So sure. Sure. I think if we're gonna really hold on to that truth that students are not broken, then when any student fails, it's not because something is wrong with them. It's not proof that they didn't belong, right? Mm -hmm, it is instead right. something wrong with our environment, something wrong with the context, something wrong with the school, something wrong with maybe the curriculum and the instruction. And so I think we have to keep reframing that conversation every single time. It's not that the student doesn't belong. It's not that there's something wrong with them. There's, we gotta take a hard look at what we're doing and what we're creating in terms of the environment for them to be successful in. Yeah, very true, Audrey. And, and really this all connects to how are we deciding that students are have any kind of particular potential? I, I just think there's something wrong and inequitable to assume that only certain students who have used a very, very narrow means to identify particular students are entitled to exploring interesting mathematics. And I'm sorry, but if you were not identified in whatever way we have, then you are left to experience the drudgery of mm -hmm. mathematics. You know, the, the way that I, that I say it when I get in these conversations, Audrey, is like this idea that past performance in some isolated, narrow experience in mathematics, it should not be the predictor of success in a more broad experience in mathematics. So like we do this when we expect students to test on material to get into advanced classes or elementary groupings um, and based on, their, based on their current understanding, and like expecting like wherever somebody is now that that is going to be the predictor of their success, right? Yeah, I agree. Well, the opportunity myth is a very thought provoking study. And so like Katie says, if you haven't read it yet, we highly recommend it. Uh, there's lots of discussion to be had there and lots to re-examine our system. Uh, in this chapter, Katie also presents a really optimistic stance. And you know me, I'm a very optimistic person. I hold optimism <laughs> sure. as one of my highlights sure. of my stance in this world. Um, and she says this, she says, we can only hope that tests will continue to evolve so that all learners can share what they have learned in more relevant and authentic ways. And I heartily, I, I'm just gonna start by saying I heartily 100% agree, but there's the big, yeah, but I know that hope is not a strategy, right? Yeah. I think just like with any inequity in our system, we have to do more than just hope it will change. We have to take an active role in changing the assessment practices in our local contexts, wherever our sphere of influence is, whether that's our site, 
whether that's our grade level team, whether that's our district. Um, and we also have to consider how we're influencing change on standardized assessments in larger contexts. We have to, because hope alone is not gonna change anything. Uh, great point, Audrey. I think that sometimes we, we all don't consider what type of influence we have in whatever position we happen to be. And really at any level, we can impact assessment and making it more authentic for our students and for ourselves. So I, I really appreciate you calling that out, Audrey. Um, you know, I, this all makes me think about many conversations I've had around assessments. Um, and many of the questions that I get asked uh, when, I, when I work in schools and work in classrooms. And, and Audrey, one of the most frequent things that I get asked is whether it's wise to have students engage in, in whatever math experiences we have them engage in in the classroom, if they do not look like, I put that in quotes, the types of problems they will encounter in standardized tests. In other words, if we have them doing some, some really cool investigations that lead to kids bumping into really great math concepts and deep learning, like, and then people might say, well, wait a second though, that's not what it's gonna look like on the test. And so, um, I just wonder about this whole um, idea that I feel like in mathematics, we've kind of adopted this notion of performance versus learning. And it can kind of wag the, the, the decisions throughout the whole school year. That's some scary stuff, right? It is, Mark. Like, I think that's, a, I think that's something we need to unpack further. Um, and it's a good point. Um, you know, Katie takes the stance here in the chapter of presenting some I'll say interesting ideas about how we can prep our students for standardized tests. And I think I should begin by saying like, I don't think test prep is the problem for mathematics. I think this is a game that I've seen played over and over in classrooms for years and years and years with weeks, weeks of yeah. time stripped away from instruction mm -hmm. to help students get ready to take a test. And, you know, Katie shares an analogy in, in this chapter that test prep is similar to what you might prepare for an operation. Like it's like a pre-op, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I fundamentally believe the earths are different. Like I, I'm going to posit that most people who undergo surgery are doing so in order to improve their life in some way, right? Or mm -hmm. their belief that they're improving yeah. their life. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm going to say that I don't believe any students sit for a standardized test with the idea that this is gonna improve their life outcomes. And I think if we convince them of that, we're probably creating a huge falsehood. Um, the analogy just falls flat for me. So I think when we perpetuate that these standardized assessments are really important, but we know that they're only designed for the mythically average student and the mythically average teacher, like we're back to this idea of like a widget factory and we're using testing as quality control. And I think that that's just a really awful space for us to be thinking about education. I think, I think performance is where we're stuck. We're, we're stuck in, does it fit all the check boxes? And if not, we're throwing it out, right? It doesn't get to go on our assembly line. And if we're really thinking about learning, we have to fundamentally shift the narrative of this. Wow, Audrey, it's powerful stuff. That I, I agree with what you're saying and just really, really well said. Um, and, you know, the other thing as you're talking, the other thing that I think is underneath all of this is this whole thing about, especially this is so true in mathematics, that students need to repeat mathematics over and over. They need to do things right over and over and over, or they will not, quote unquote, remember it. 
Um, and this reminds me of experience that I had as a teacher, Audrey, that one, one day when I was working in my classroom, I had this sort of aha, and it was a scary aha, because I said to myself, am I teaching for the test on Friday? Like, so I started thinking about that, you know, because that's kind of what I was doing, you know? And so I said to myself, wait a second, what if I gave this same test to my students a month from now? Like, would they be able to do as well? And then, then I started thinking like, oh my gosh, this is, this is kind of a house of cards. Like, what are we doing, right? Like, um, are we modeling, mimicking? Are we expecting learning, learning that's something that they will know a month from now, right? Um, now, like obviously learning does require some degree of practice, but not like mindless practice with which connections will, you know, result in students not be able to retain concepts because they never had a really understanding of them in the first place. And so one of the things that I think about, like when you mentioned this whole idea of test prep, one thing that comes to mind, because in the book, Katie was mentioning maybe just a couple of weeks before the test should be kind of the students be able to get familiar with, with the formatting and so forth. One thing that did come to mind that might be a possible way of thinking about this is in, here in California, we have these things called interim assessments uh, put out by SBAC and they're computerized. Um, it's the same company that produces the end of the year assessments. They're much shorter and they're designed to sh so students can show their level of understanding of concepts throughout the year. And so I, I don't think these interim assessments are perfect by any means, um, but, and they have plenty of barriers. And so I just want, I want to own that. But I, I wonder if this has the potential of students reducing their anxiety because they get some familiarity with the format without the length. And if, if the attempt in these interim assessments is to give students tasks that have a degree of quality to them, I'm thinking that that might be something that allows us to have some degree of authenticity alongside of some degree of students being able to get familiar with the format. So hmm. Audrey, I realize that, that, that that's not a perfect solution by any means, but I think I think we have to look for other things other than the two weeks before uh, the big the big test for the year. So that's that's just a couple ideas. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I also think we can reimagine assessments using UDL instead of using UDL to help students prepare for an assessment, right? So, like when you work with your grade level team to write the next common assessment, mm -hmm. what would happen if instead you thought through what's the goal of the assessment and what are the barriers, and then think about how we overcome like designed to overcome those barriers, right? So like if the purpose or the goal is to show, for students to be able to show their understanding of a specific math concept, what could get in the way of that? Like, what are the things that might be a barrier to that? Like reading the problem or showing it on a very specific narrow instance, or the fact that that particular set of numbers is problematic for a student, right? Um, and how do we design then around those barriers so that all students can show their brilliance and they can show what they know and it's an authentic assessment? Oh, absolutely, Audrey. And I, and I can think of an example from when I was teaching elementary school um, because uh, as many elementary school teachers know, this whole idea of time test can take on a life of its own. And I was very frustrated with the idea of time test, but I realized like I need some way to find out how my students are thinking about multiplication. And to your point, Audrey, the idea of a goal is if my goal is to figure out how they're thinking about multiplication, a time test was not doing that for me because mm -hmm. I basically got just right and wrong answers. And 
then all the dreadful things around anxiety um, and, and them not being productive for students or for me. So what I did, Audrey, is I created a different kind of assessment. And I gave uh, on a piece of paper the 15 facts that were most problematic. And I did not make it timed. And I had students write an M next to the facts they had memorized and had them write the product and an M. And then I had them show me a strategy if they did not have it memorized, what strategy did they use and then write the product. And, I, and it still wasn't perfect, but you know what I appreciated about it is that I got information about what my students were thinking about in terms of the strategies they were using to find multiplication facts if they didn't have them memorized, because that allowed me to come alongside them and support them in ways to in, ensure that they had a highly efficient strategy to fall back on if they had for, if they ever forget a multiplication fact. So um, uh, I think, like you said, Audrey, that idea of having the goal in mind can really influence how you build your assessment. Yeah. So maybe there's, I mean, maybe there's space there to, you know, the next time you get asked, what's your grade level common assessment? What's your classroom assessment? What's, what could we write for a district assessment? Taking those times to pause and do that, it sounds like it sounds like there's room for us to improve in our local context, for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. So Audrey, what I'm thinking about, you know, we just we just read the last chapter of the book, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, this might be a good time uh, to share with our listeners, like what important takeaways that you have after finishing this book. It's always a hard thing to finish up a book, Mark, and like it feels a little bittersweet, doesn't it? Um, I think. I think I'm more aware now that I've read this book that we can't use UDL as a band-aid for poor instruction and poor practices in math instruction. Yeah. Um, we've gone back to this several times over the course of the season, but spending time trying to in like increase engagement in a lecture is probably not the best way to use our redesign time. Like, and it's probably just a band-aid, right? That's not actually fixing things. So I keep going back to like, this book is reminding me time and time again, we need to keep pushing ourselves to start with the goals, consider the barriers and really redesign math instruction. If we have any hope of leveraging the brilliance that each and every one of our students brings to mathematics. Um, so that's what, I'm, I, that's what I'm still taking with me. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious about you, Mark though, what, maybe what next steps do you have um, that you think you might take after reading this book? Well, for me, Audrey, I know that we've talked about throughout the book that we feel like there's, there needs to be a different discussion around UDL and mathematics. Um, a lot of the discussion um, nationally and uh, really everywhere has been really around UDL and ELA as, as sort of the, the primary example. And, but you know, across California now, we have a, a lot of people trying some different things with UDL and math, and there's a lot of buzz going on with that. Um, but I'm really kind of interested in figuring out ways to connect all of us that are doing this, this work. Um, and so that we can combine our thinking and making, you know, UDL more impactful at the classroom level. So my next step is going to be to fall through on this. And even though my busy whirlwind, like we all have busy whirlwinds, right? Uh, I really want to make this collaboration a, a priority. So, um, uh, Audrey, I think we could say that the more that we learn about UDL, the more we think it is part of the solution in making our classrooms more equitable. I mean, I, you and I have had these discussions over and over that, that this, this has such potential 
but it, it, it really hasn't landed fully in the math classroom yet. But um, uh, if you're listening right now and you're interested in this work, um, just reach out to us. Um, we're always looking for people to collaborate with. Yes, 100% uh, agreeing. Please reach out. We would love to collaborate. I think that's a great uh, open opening to um, further work in this area. Thanks for that, Mark. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. And this season on UDL Now, we'll be launching a new season next week. Until then, send us a tweet with the hashtag SumMathChat. That's hashtag S-U-M-M-A-T-H-C-H-A-T with your questions and thoughts. We'll keep the conversation going there. Until then, best wishes on rethinking our practices. Mm -hmm.